the light bulb went off and I realized, wait a minute, I don't, I'm trying to be like her and I don't like what I'm becoming. Wait, I don't like her. I'm Ken. And I'm Karen. And this is our second time around. Second marriages have a 60% failure rate. And though there is some literature out there, research that has been done, there's just not enough. Not enough to really speak into helping second marriages succeed. And that's what we want to do. We want to share our own journey, what we, what we are learning along the way, and provide that opportunity for others to take away and apply to their own story. I like that. I like that too. Today, we have a special guest with us, RJ. Welcome, RJ. Thank you. Well, my fans call me Star J, but uh, until you get to know me better, I guess RJ will do. That's great. (laughs) Thanks so much for being willing to share this time with us, and um, we hope that it will be of benefit to our listeners. Thank you for having me. This is a real treat to have RJ here. RJ, you, you do have a last name, so let's, let's uh, RJ... My name is RJ Hebner. So it isn't officially Star J. Not, right? not really, not uh, at all. Uh, okay. I, I, my fan base is very small, <laughs> so I think it might be one, just me. But mm-hmm. um, Well, so RJ, this is second time around. And so second time around is our opportunity to share stories of second chances new beginnings, new opportunities. So we're looking forward to having the opportunity to hear what your story is as you unfold it for us uh, on this uh, podcast. So now we do have a unique beginning. So uh, maybe you can tell our listeners how our friendship began. Yeah, so I had just arrived in Baltimore about three days before Hamden Fest and I'm staying, I was staying with my sister at the time, and she was uh, going to a yoga retreat for some yoga instruction, and um, I didn't have anything to do, so I went to Hamden Fest with the intention to meet someone. I said, I wanted to go. I'm just new in town, and I really want to make uh, good friends, some quality friends. I was hoping that I would, and I spent the whole day there walking around, and I hadn't met anybody, but... My I was sis- walking down the street with my wife thinking to myself and saying to her, I, I hope we don't meet any friends here. You know? <laughs> yeah. was, that was my goal. Was, can we just be left alone today? Right. You just wanted to be left alone. <laughs> Little did you know. At the Hamden Fest, there was this uh, sort of like this hippie uh, vendor that was selling <laughs> uh, various things. And one of the vendor. Yeah. <laughs> one of the things he had were was these uh, uh, singing bowls or meditation bowls, and he had a huge brass one. So I wanted to get this for my sister for when she came back for her yoga studio. And I was so excited about getting it for her that I wanted to take pictures of it to send her. And I was setting it up, and I thought that the whole atmosphere was, was a, a great place to sort of frame this meditation bowl. I set it up on the street and I'm trying to get all these shots and uh, the sun was setting and everybody was getting in the way of my shot because they're standing in front of the sun and I was waiting for my moment and right when that moment came the crowd parted and there were you two holding hands strolling (laughs) um, down the street 
And I had to take it because uh, that was the moment that the sun was visible for the shot. And I took the shot and it looked so good that um, as you passed, I couldn't resist reaching out to you guys and saying, hey, you got to look at this shot because I just took this amazing picture of you guys. And uh, if I had to define serendipity, I'd say that was it. And, and we walked away from that. And then as we continued to walk down 36th Street, we began talking about, you know, we need to go back. And so we circled back to find RJ and get exchange information. And I think that was just a really I was like thinking in my time. head, thinking, I don't do this. We just don't do this. What, no, what are we doing? We We're don't. giving <laughs> our contact information to a, parent, exactly. to a stranger. To Star J, man. What are you talking about? To Star about? J, right. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's my star right. quality you couldn't mm -hmm. resist. No, I, I, I felt like a, it was a great blessing for me because I was just new in town and I didn't know anyone except really my sister. And to meet such a, an amazing couple was a true blessing and I'm so grateful. Yeah, I think well, we were both exactly. uh, surprised. Very surprised. And... Uh, it's one of those encounters in life that you give a lot of credit to, hey, be, remain open. Just remain open to relationships. Mm -hmm. Don't attempt to not be so judgmental so quickly um, about somebody. And, uh, and so, and I think uh, maybe a month later, we, we text you and said, hey, we're in the area, not thinking that you lived a bit further away. Right. <laughs> we thought you lived in that area, but uh, you were so gracious to come up and uh, meet us at the restaurant that we were at, and we played some pool. And uh, that was a lot of fun. Had a great conversation. It was. It was a lot of a lot of fun. Absolutely. And uh, got to hear a bit more of your story, and that's why we have you here today is that uh, as we heard you unfold your story with us that we realized hey this is a second time around story mm -hmm. yes yeah yes. very much and, so uh, there may be more parts to it uh, as we're learning but it is a second time around story it's definitely extra get... chances <laughs> extra chances correct so so, RJ, before we get into the depth of our conversation, let's just ask you, so tell us about what you do and why you do it. Well, I'm a dog trainer, and um, I would say that one of the things that, that really guides my spirit is um, I really crave a meaningful life and a life of purpose, and uh, as I've gone on this journey through life, uh, I've had ups and downs uh, trying to hold on to that meaning and to uh, find my purpose. But I always come back to dog training because it's a way that I have found that I can connect with people and animals and make a profound difference in lives. And um, there's nothing more rewarding to me in life than, than being able to give up myself, to be of service, and to um, impact people in a way that, that really makes a difference in their quality of life. You know, as I, I listen to your uh, videos, uh, in your initial one that you um, had sent me, and 
I, I appreciated hearing, you know, your canine and their humans. Mm -hmm. And um, so I, I just found that interesting. Canines and their humans. Well, there is no dog training without the human side of the leash. So really dog training is more about human training and um, rehabilitating dogs and training the humans to show up in a way that uh, that the dogs really need. And honestly, from my perspective, uh, my message that uh, resonates so often is that the way to be with dogs is the way to be in life. So uh, it's really... Oh, it's so it turns into sort of like life coaching sometimes. I, I would imagine in a it way, does. Uh, because a lot of times uh, the problems that dogs are having are more related to the problems that the humans are having. That's a really good point. I mean, it's all about relationship. Exactly. Right. And uh, and the other thing I found intriguing about yourself, and maybe you can speak about this a little bit, is that you you have a real trauma perspective. Now. Uh, I have already expressed that, you know, I, I have been a trauma therapist in the past and, and uh, well, not in the past, in the present, I will say. And I've experienced that trauma personally. Uh-huh. Yes, you have. Yes. And uh, so, but you have it a, an extra emphasis on understanding trauma, not just from the perspective of, of a pet or an animal but from a human side as well. Exactly. My, the, the, most of my work or what I've become most well known for is rehabilitating the most severe behaviors that dogs exhibit. A lot of aggression issues, separation anxiety, a lot of things related to traumas that the dogs have experienced. And I became fascinated with the research and work of Dr. Peter Levine, who specializes in trauma and somatic experiencing. And although his research is geared towards uh, humans, uh, it started with researching animals. Animals, right. Right? right. And so I'm studying a specialist who is using these uh, his knowledge to help humans, but he's actually studying animals to understand humans. Right, correct. Right? Because humans have the same innate mechanisms for processing trauma as the rest of the animal kingdom. But according to Dr. Levine, only domesticated animals and humans hold on to post-traumatic stress. Post-traumatic stress, great. So... Right? Because we tend to live in our old stories and we live in our dog's old stories. Correct. Right? So this was helping me help humans understand what they're doing, holding, keeping their dog in the story. But it also helped me understand uh, through uh, the, the examples in his research how the animals are actually decompressing the trauma in the wild. So you have a real didactic uh, approach to training. Yes. Uh, animals. Yes, uh, I'd say that. Dogs in particular. Exactly. Yeah. Trauma infiltrates every part of who we are and it and it manifests itself in different ways for different people. And as well as for our domestic animals. Well, right, but there dogs. there was something that he said and I I just can't remember the exact wording and I thought Yes, that's how 
it, it just becomes a much bigger part of who we are and how we behave and how we manage ourselves. And to understand how an animal manages themselves in a situation helps us to better understand just that innate response that we have to that trauma. And sometimes the trauma that we experience, we don't even think of how our bodies and our minds react to it. It just happens. It just becomes a, a heart pounding, um, uh, mind rush that we don't expect is going to happen. And then all of a sudden it's there. Okay. Now what, what do we do with it? It's well, triggered. Yeah. I think, right. I think RJ has something to say to that. So yes, let's hear that. Well, I think you, you're the, you're a trauma expert, so I don't think I'll, I'll maybe preaching to the choir choir here. But choir needs preaching too. Sometimes <laughs> the thing that's happening is that the person or the dog is, uh, you know, their 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 survival response is being triggered. Yes, and, exactly. And when your survival response is being triggered, you're you're firmly rooted in your primal brain. Right. That's a primal response. It's, it's you don't have access to cognitive. Correct. Your cognition. So your co your cognitive therapy, your cognition isn't working. You're you're out of your rational brain. You're completely in survival response, and the reason is is because uh, you experience something that your nervous system is telling you that that uh, you need to respond to like this in order to survive. It doesn't always match up for humans uh, rationally because whatever that experience was may not have really been a real life-threatening event, but it's still, and it isn't a life-threatening event in, in the moment by any means, but that nervous energy is locked in the body and in, in, in your psyche. So, you know, until that nervous energy is decompressed, it's really hard to come back to equilibrium. And when you encounter your triggers, you're in it. It, it, it hits and you're in it and you don't have access to cognition. And like you said, it's like a rush and, um, really it's, it's like a ride. Well, I think that's very indicative to our own human relationships and particularly marriage and that we, we lose sight of, or out of, we're out of touch with the insight to our own triggers and that we become, many couples find themselves in repetitive behaviors and reactions that uh, seem to occur. Mm. I, I imagine that's the same between a pet owner and their pet. Absolutely. And, uh, and so and that's a big part of, of your own approach, I, I imagine. Yes, it is. And um, one of the things that, that I, one of the big takeaways for me, from all of this information, is uh, is a lot of forgiveness around the reactions that people and dogs are having. Okay. Okay. Because they're instinctual right. and they're involuntary. And you know, primal, you can, instinctual, and involuntary. Well, they're they're primal in the sense that they're 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 really survival responses okay. that uh, that we can't use cognitive therapy to interrupt. We have to be aware. That uh, that that there are limits to uh, like rational emotive therapy when it comes to behavior, 
and uh, for, for humans. Mm-hmm. Now, in in the area of dogs, since they don't really have that uh, cognitive function that humans have, you know, it's a lot of for me, um, sort of guiding them through that process and helping them to decompress that nervous energy and come back to equilibrium uh, repeatedly, so that they can go through the experiences, receive the guidance, and uh, create a new habit, a new response to, to the trigger. So that's a great segue. I think we have discussed before that you have a second time around story. So we would love to hear more about that, RJ. How he ended up here in Baltimore. Correct. Yes. Yes. There's a lot of trauma involved in, in that, in the sense that it brought up old traumas and old issues, um, so I was in a uh, relationship with my ex, who is also a dog trainer. She's an experienced dog trainer, and we created this business together, together, Zenergy Dog Training in Phoenix, Arizona. And just this year, we were voted best dog trainers in Phoenix. And last year, we were voted, you know, in the top five. That's exciting. It, you know, it's a great honor. And uh, we've literally saved hundreds of dogs' lives and improved the lives of many, many others. But in our own relationship, um, I was kind of blindsided in, in some sense. Well, you know, that's not even accurate because now that I've been away from it for a few months... Uh, I can see the signs that I didn't want to recognize. And having heard your story, a lot of that resonates with me because there's a lot of things, a lot of wishful thinking or a lot of um, signs and intuition that we we are unsure of. Is this, is this fear or is this intuition? You know, is this, is this something I should be acting on or, or do I really have it good and I'm just being, you know... Um, what would you say? Like you went through it. So it's kind of like, well, why, why do you think that is? We tend to second guess ourselves a lot. We second guess or we neglect what those signs are that our intuition tends to pick up. I think it's because we fear change. We're unsure of ourselves. We're unsure because Honestly, I I might be all over the place here, but speaking for myself, as a child who grew up having to adapt, um, my mom was married a few times, and there's a lot of adaptation that you have to do as a kid to adjusting to, you know, your new stepdad or a new school or new people. And what I've discovered from my own life experience is the more you have to adapt as a child, the more readily you are willing to to lose track of who you are so that you can right. adapt to what yes. other people want you to be so and that you'll be accepted with, put up with a lot well more. you put up with a lot because because as an adult you know as a child rather uh, our survi- our very survival depends on you know our parents and the acceptance and validation from our parents so if we don't have it then uh, as a child, we instinctively fear for our survival. We don't know what that means. We just feel it. 
and we adapt so that we're accepted. And now as adults, uh, we tend to do that in our relationships. And that was my situation completely where I'm in this relationship and I'm sort of adapting to what she wants and what her, I, you know, I want to be her ideal. Because you wanted to be accepted. Exactly. And so that's the little boy in me. But I wasn't aware of that in the moment. Well, that's the sense of losing sense of self. Yes. That's where we become an, an alternative self. Exactly. To please another. Right. It, it is what we do to accommodate in our underdeveloped time of development. We learn that in childhood. We take that into our adult relationships. So yes, that's that's an important element as you're expressing that. And I think that young children who are faced with circumstances like that, who learn to uh, manage that kind of experience um, as adults, they learn to switch back and forth depending on their circumstances rather than accepting and settling into who they are. They, they figure out how to be what they need to be in any given circumstance in order to make the right. other person happy. Mm-hmm. So that's a, that's a real sense of losing one's own voice and one's right. own identity to accommodate for what they perceive that the other wants to be accepted. What's challenging about that in the bigger picture is that we don't, just in understanding that in myself, we we don't get to be who we really are at any given point in time. And, and yet we get to be accepted by the person that we are choosing to adjust ourselves to. And so that, that acceptance becomes more vital and more important than allowing ourselves to be who we are. Because we confuse that acceptance with our with our ability to, to survive. And that's from childhood because the instinct in childhood, and it's very true in childhood, is that you need the acceptance of the parents and the tribe in order to survive. If you don't have it, you, you think about how we lived, you know, thousands of years ago. If you don't have it, you won't be able to survive. So we're still operating under those same instincts. And that's what, um, that's what's informing us now. The, the, the real thing that I've discovered is to be aware of it. And the more awareness we can bring to it, the more understanding we can, can bring to that, you know, our survival isn't really at stake like it was then when we were children. And we can be true to ourselves. We can be individuals and not have to adapt and be true to ourselves. And that's what I had to learn through my experience in my last relationship, the relationship that brought me to Baltimore, because 
when I was in that, in that relationship of four and a half plus years, which I was totally blindsided because I thought that everything was epic. And then in the last year of that relationship was spent with me being triggered a lot because she suddenly wanted an open relationship. She wanted to be able to uh, have intimate relationships with other men. And that triggered my abandonment schemas and my, uh, my, my rejection schemas. And I didn't, I wasn't sure in myself, am I just fearful? You know, am I unevolved because, because maybe I'm just jealous or, you know, maybe, you know, so there were a lot of things that were, uh, that were, that I was second guessing, and I had to kind of go through that pain and, uh, and be, yeah, and, please. And isn't that n- not just the pain of that, but there's a sense of fear. Am I not good enough? Is there something I've done wrong? It's, it's that childhood response that, that wants to please that, that, that is afraid, that is frightened. What have I done to not do what you want me to do, what you want me to be? Why, am, why aren't I enough for you? But this, this now opens up a whole nother uh, topic, which is about uh, 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 attachment and adult attachment theory, where uh, we're getting into the um, areas of uh, our different attachment styles. So, you know, like I'm, I keep I keep hearkening back to ancient times when we're surviving in the wilderness. Uh, you know, our attachments are very important to our survival. And if we don't have, if we lose line of sight with our, with our uh, primary pair bond, if we lose line of sight with our, with our young, uh, that could be a, a potentially life-threatening situation. You know, uh, th- this is common knowledge among hikers, but, but bears will not really attack ever three people, three people or more. That's really interesting. But two or one are vulnerable to an attack from a bear. So just with that little tidbit of information, you understand that in the wild, when you are alone, and as children, we instinctually know that when we're alone, we're, we're not safe. So what's being triggered is not necessarily what's true now, that that if we're alone, we, our life is in danger. But that is prime primarily and primally what is being triggered in, in the body is that is that if I lose this and and I you know Ken I've heard a little bit about your story too and when you uh, mentioned that um, idea of is am I just in this because it's safe or or does she just love me because it's safe you know instead of uh, for all the other aspects of, you know, that we want to want out of an intimate relationship rather than just being wanted for being safe. And, you know, that's what came up a lot for me because, because my ex wanted an open relationship and I kept second guessing that she, because she didn't want to lose me by any means. She wanted to keep me, but I didn't feel like I was loved in the way that I deserved to be loved and in the way that I wanted to be loved. Uh, and I felt like that she only wanted to keep me 
because I was safe and for what I provided. Well, I think that is a valuable uh, concept or perspective there, RJ. And Karen and I would, I think, connect on this that amongst many other things that we would connect on, but the the courage that it takes to be able to see one's own self and to understand what is acceptable to me in a relationship. Because we want to be connected, we want to be intimate, we want to be acceptable, it's sometimes very difficult to hear our own voice. And when you're faced with discerning and understanding, am I really loved here for who I am? As opposed to that, I am, I want to be kept because I'm needed. It takes courage to step outside of that and to hear the internal voice that says, this is not right for me. Now, I will have to say that divorce, separation, a relationship ending is never or rarely a, an easy experience. It just isn't. It's painful. And it's painful to recognize that what I'm in is not healthy. That is a challenging place to come to. That was the biggest challenge for me in the decision that I had to make to leave. And ultimately, I ultimately, I didn't want to lose her. So I didn't want to lose you. That's what she said. And so I did the adaptation. I changed my values. I didn't realize then because I thought maybe I'm, I'm just, I'm overcoming my fear. And I agreed to the open relationship. So we wrote adjusting your values. Compromising yourself in many ways. I did, but I wasn't aware then because, because I was, because I think then when I agreed to it, I thought that I needed this. I need to overcome my fear and I need to overcome my insecurities. That's what I thought then. So I agreed to it. We came up with our agreements because open relationships are complicated and uh, messy and triggering. And so there's a lot of rules involved. And until you actually dive into that topic, you're not, uh, at any rate, I read a lot of books about it and we came up with our agreements and then we tried it for a few months. And ultimately I did not like the culture and the people who were amenable to it. There is a limited pool of people who would be open, open, who would be ex- acceptable to be uh, a second or a third in someone's primary relationship. And what I discovered was that I didn't really enjoy being with those people. And when I was, and when I was having intimate moments with those people, I was second guessing myself. And it happened one night that uh, I spent some time with someone and i was thinking about it deeply and I realized 
I don't like what I'm becoming. I don't like what I'm doing. And, um, I, part of that process and part of that process was, I don't, I'm trying to be like her. I'm trying to even compete with her in some ways because I wouldn't, I wouldn't choose this. I wouldn't do this if it were left up to me. And so then Dawn broke over Marblehead and the light bulb went off and I realized, wait a minute, I don't, I'm trying to be like her and I don't like what I'm becoming. Wait, I don't like her. And that's when that night I realized that I had to leave. And the next morning I told her that um, I had to leave. You know, that having heard that now, that's, you've shared that with me before. And when I heard that, I thought that was the perfect description of an individual becoming differentiated Mm. from another Mm. and recognizing that they can't be something for someone else. They have to be who they are. It's, if I may, it's an individual looking in the mirror and the reflection that they see is, is something that they, they actually recognize is not what they want to see anymore. And I remember experiencing that same, that, that same process in myself, looking in the mirror at the individual and, and, and saying to myself, are you really who you were created to be and who you want to be? Or are you a reflection of who someone else has said you need to be for them? And that's the moment that the light bulb goes on and you realize I'm not that reflection. I need to honestly evaluate who I am and the reflection that I'm seeing in that mirror. Who is that person? Is that really me or is that someone I'm pretending to be? Mm. It reminds me of the uh, quote from Hamlet, you know, Shakespeare's, uh, to be true to thine own self, uh, you cannot be untrue to anyone, you know, that uh, I'm paraphrasing here, but... That's okay. You just elevated our podcast. <laughs> right, you did exactly <laughs> to the opera, to the to the conversation here. So thank you. <laughs> so I, I guess if I was going to ask the question: How do you do that? How do you just walk away? I guess you have to decide what your pastor said. Is it worth it? What you're going through. Uh, versus, I guess, the alternative. And what I was going through felt like death. So I was tired of dying. (laughs) Well, since none of us know what death is like, (laughs) but it feels like death. Right. Feels like it's coming. I I guess it's it's being willing to make that decision without knowing what that future looks like. It takes faith. And courage. Mm. 
And I yep. think at that moment, you have to decide, is this momentary discomfort, this momentary pain that we experience, is this worth what I believe the outcome is going to be? Am I willing to go through this experience because I'm looking to what's on the other side of that. Well, that momentary experience doesn't feel so momentary. It doesn't. When you're living it. But to have the perspective that, all right, this is a season that I'm willing to dive into. Because the loss of my own self is not what I'm willing to do. I think that's key. That's that self-integrity that we've... We've talked about many times. We have, but sometimes we suppress that. A lot of times we suppress that. And RJ, I suppose that for you too, that you came to that crossroads in your own self. Yes. As to, am I going to accommodate another human being? Or am I going to live honestly to my own self sense of integrity? That's exactly. You, I couldn't have said it any any better than that. You mean I said it that brilliantly? I I think um, Starkin will be your Starkin. <laughs> I just want to say for anyone out there who's listening, to really feel into your feelings, um, trust yourself, be true to yourself, know your values, and um, I know you second guess them because you know you don't want to make rash decisions. You don't want to do things that are going to jeopardize your family, your children, your your own safety and everything. But at some point, you have to really feel into who you are, what your values are, and what you know deep in your soul and your spirit that you deserve. And um, you do deserve that. And you'll get it if you trust and allow and let go and move forward. At least that's, you know, I haven't necessarily got that, got there yet, but that's the, what's helping me move forward. So uh, that's, that's my story. RJ, the psychology that you provide is impeccable. If I might say so myself. (laughs) So from a human trainer to a dog trainer, Hey, well done. Thanks. Thanks, RJ. We appreciate your time. Thank you both.